Lord of history, Lord of all creation, Almighty God, we come before you this morning and look into your word revealed from thousands of years ago, how you shared that journey with your creation and how you want to bless us, how you redeemed us from a pathway to destruction how you loved us and how you want us to remember and always to consecrate ourselves to you. And so, Lord, I pray, God, Holy Spirit, would you just come over us this morning and energize our hearts to receive from you, to receive the love and the grace of God, to be grateful, to be thankful, to be worshipful. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know that uh, Shig and Grace, myself and Angeline, we were in Israel for 10 days. Came back uh, about midnight of Wednesday. Lots of people have asked me, so what is the one thing that, that you know, oh, floored you? I said, don't have, la, don't have. It's like everything, you know, everything was, was, was amazing to see. Uh, uh, when you read the Bible, that's, that's that place, and that is that place, and this is that valley, and that is that mountain. This is what happened here in this, in this part of the world. But if you ask me really now, as I think about it, what is the one thing that um, got me is, is sadness. Is sadness. Because, you know, when I look at Romans chapter 9, it talks about the Israelites, the Jews. That theirs is the adoption to sonhood. There's the divine glory. There's the covenants, the, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. There's their patriarchs that is traced the, the human ancestry of the Messiah. And yet they are so far away from God. And it's been said many times in, during this, this trip that uh, the Jews are the hardest people to reach for Christ. And so there's some sadness if you ask me. But today, let's look at the God of history, and I want to go through Deuteronomy chapter 16 with you. If you can open up your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 16, we will read it, uh, uh, three or four passages from there. It talks about the feasts in the Bible, and there are seven feasts in the Bible, in the Old Testament. So let me just go through them quickly. I have several videos to show you that will make this come alive uh, more. The first one is the Passover. And it's on the 14th day, the, the, the sundown of the 14th day of the first month. Okay? And that begins God's religious uh, calendar. So the Passover, we know, has a Passover lamb. It talks about salvation, that we are saved by a sacrificial lamb. And for us who are Christians, we know that we are saved by the sacrificial lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And then comes straight after that, seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the 15th day to the 21st day. Unleavened means there is no yeast. Okay, so the bread is practically like a biscuit. Okay, no yeast, it doesn't rise, it's hard. And leaven talks about sin, especially the sin of pride. You remember the Bible says that pride puffs up a man. It's kind of like yeast puffs up a man. And no leaven means you remove sin, you remove evil. And that's the process of sanctification. And then the Feast of First Fruits. This is the day following the Sabbath, just after the Passover. And it talks about a harvest, first fruit. And if you remember, Jesus was the first fruit 
of those who rose from the dead. So it talks about Jesus. It points to Jesus. After the first fruits, the fourth festival is the festival of weeks. Uh, one week, two weeks, three weeks. Festival of weeks is actually seven weeks. Seven times seven, 49. The next day, 50. And that's why it's Pentecost. Pente is five, right? Pentagram, five. It's 50 days from the Feast of First Fruits, and you know that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And then comes the Feast of Trumpets. This is the first day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, and it talks about the gathering of the saints. And if you remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, from verse 16, it talks about the Lord coming down from heaven with a trumpet call of God, the Feast of Trumpets, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then all of us will be caught up in the clouds with the Lord in the air. It talks about the rapture, that God will gather his people. Then comes the Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur is the Hebrew name for it. On the 10th day of the seventh month, usually around October, it talks about being cleansed, being atoned for. It talks about judgment. And then the seventh and the last feast is the Feast of Tabernacles, which follows the Day of Atonement from the 15th to the 21st day of the seventh month. It talks about the kingdom of God, that we remember the journey that we have with God, and that God lived with man in a tabernacle, God living together with man. And today we are going to look at three of these seven feasts that are outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 16. These three feasts which every man must perform in Jerusalem. So if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16 onwards, it says, Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. And he subsequently chose Jerusalem. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And so we start with the first of this. It's Passover and then follow it with it, uh, uh, seven days of unleavened bread. So it actually starts with Passover. Uh, Passover in Hebrew is called Pesach. You hear it all the time in Israel. Pesach. This is the Pesach meal. And this year, it'll be coming up soon on the 26th of March. How is it celebrated today? I'm going to play a, a short video uh, which came from one of these Messianic Jewish uh, websites that I think you will find interesting. Note that when they say the name Jesus, in Hebrew it is called Yeshua. So they will say Yeshua. If you look at the Hebrew English Bible, it doesn't say Jesus. Jesus is the English of the Greek of the Hebrew. Okay? So it's called Yeshua, Y-E-S-U-S-H-U-A. Okay? Y-E-S-H-U-A. So let's... Hope this works. Hebrew Pesach. The book of Exodus tells us, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And that verse goes on to say, Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. And that's what we're going to begin doing today, to get rid of all the leaven out of our house. 
Okay, now that we've gotten rid of all the leaven, let's go ahead and go to the shoot, the market, and we can buy everything we need for Passover. Okay, we've gotten rid of all of our bread. The Bible says that we now have to eat matzah for seven days, bread without leaven. So now that we're in the shuk, let's go ahead and see if we can find some matzah. Okay, here we have a vendor selling uh, individual packs of uh, matzah. And then for most families, they'll have one or two of these during the week, a whole case of matzah. רק מצה. ברור, שאנחנו שומרים כשרות. אתה נורמלי? מה? בטח אני אוכלת מצה. רק מצה, נכון? רק מצה. מה אתה שמה על המצה? מה זה? יש חרוסת, יש כרפס, יש ביצה. מה זה מצה מה? עם שוקולד, עם טלה, עם דיבר. אתם אוכלים, אוכלות רק מצה במשך פסח, או גם מה לחם? לא אוכלים חמץ. למה אנחנו אוכלים רק מצה ולא לחם? כי הבצק לא הספיק לטפוח לפני שהם יצאו ממצרים. I'm holding in my hand a Seder plate, and a Seder plate is the centerpiece of the Seder meal. It goes right in the middle of the table. And on the Seder plate, you can see that there is an order, a place for each vegetable or piece of meat, and each of them has a special meaning. Now, we're going to go around the shuk, and we're going to ask people if they know each of the meanings. אנחנו שמים קרפס על הסלחת במשך פצח? למי When God takes us out of Egypt, yes, it was with Yad Chazaka, Yad, hand. זה לזכר אבותינו במצרים, ככה מראו את החיים שלנו, אז אנחנו צריכים להרגיש טעם מר, איך שהם הרגישו אנחנו גם צריכים להרגיש טעם מר הזדהות איתם. ברור. 
without sin. It is pierced, it is bruised, and then they take that piece and they break it in two. Half of it is then wrapped up in a white linen, just like the body of Yeshua was. It is then hidden somewhere in the house, and the children look for it at the end of the meal. They bring it back and get a special prize. And of course, we see that as Yeshua rising from the dead. Yeshua, He is our Passover lamb, and He is our exodus from sin and death. We wish you a wonderful Passover, and next year maybe we'll get to celebrate it together in Jerusalem. So this is the way the modern Jew celebrate the Passover. Okay, some of these traditions you do not find in the Bible. Okay, it's added on. So for you, you want to find out the original, original version, you've got to read Exodus chapter 12 for all the details. But for now, let me read Deuteronomy, our text today. Deuteronomy chapter 16 from verse 1 to verse 8. <coughs> Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Abib he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you, except in the place he would choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening, when the sun goes down, on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning, return to your tents. For six days, eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day, hold an assembly to the Lord your God, and do no work. The Passover has often been said as, as God's declaration of independence for Israel. You know, there's the American Declaration of Independence, that very important document that talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this is God's declaration of independence for Israel in the Passover life that they were not slain like the firstborn in Egypt. If you read uh, Exodus, do you remember? The Egyptian firstborn were killed as the, the Jews uh, or the Israelites were leaving uh, Egypt. That they had life. Instead of them being killed, a perfect lamb was killed as a Passover lamb. Liberty, they were freed from slavery. And then the pursuit of happiness, they were promised the promised land that they were to go into. But the lamb sacrifice was needed. And Passover starts the religious calendar of um, the Israelites. It's the beginning of a born-again life. And God says, it shall be the first month to you. Exodus 12, 12, this month is for you the first month, the first month of the year. That's how you start life with God. <clears throat> and it's to be a lamb without blemish. God says, choose a lamb on the tenth day of this month, and then you watch it for four days. And on the evening of the fourteenth day, you killed it, and you start the Passover feast. In the same way, God chose His 
Passover lamb, a lamb without blemish. And what are the testimonies that we have about this lamb of God, this Jesus? God himself said in Matthew 3.17, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. He is perfect to me. And then Pontius Pilate said that this lamb has, has no fault. And he said, I examined him in the presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. In Luke 23, verse 14, found no basis for wrongdoing. And then even from Judas himself, the man who betrayed Christ, he said, innocent blood. Matthew 24, uh, 27, verse 4, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And this is the testimony about our Passover lamb, a lamb without blemish, and that he is to be as well a perfect lamb, a lamb who knew no sin, committed no sin, in him was no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Knew no sin, committed no sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, He, Jesus, committed no sin, and no deceit was found in him. Knew no sin, committed no sin, in him was no sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, But you know that he appeared so that we might, he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. You know, when Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verse 15 says, I eagerly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, just before he commissioned the Last Supper. And this, the Passover feast, foreshadows the death of Christ, his sacrifice of body and blood, and it foreshadows what we just did, the Holy Communion. In three weeks, we will be celebrating good, or commemorating Good Friday, celebrating Christmas, uh, uh, Easter. And I have asked this year to have matzah. Okay, so I've asked a couple of our ladies to go and check it out, learn from other churches, and Google and get the recipe. It may not be the perfect matzah, but it'll be matzah, there'll be no leaven. Okay, it's going to be like a biscuit. So we'll see what happens on, on Good Friday. Okay, uh, and then following the Passover is seven days of unleavened bread that we eat. No leaven, no yeast, biscuit, dry. And you know that the, the, the Israelites were not slaves from slavery because they had unleavened bread, because they got rid of all the yeast and leaven. But we get rid of the yeast and the leaven because we have been delivered from Egypt. Same thing, right? Our sanctification, our getting rid of leaven and sin and evil starts because we have salvation, because we have been delivered from our sins. So that's the seven days of unleavened bread. Uh, just as a, a matter of teaching, there are six kinds of leaven that is recorded in the Bible. And I'm going to post this up on the internet so you can look at it uh, in more detail. But I'll just go through that quickly. 1 Corinthians 5.7 talks about, Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. <coughs> it talks about <coughs> the old leaven, the old lifestyle. The second one is malice and wickedness. 1 Corinthians 5, 8. Um, Therefore, let us, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. It talks about hypocrisy. Luke chapter 12, verse 
verse 1, verse 1, Jesus said, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The yeast of Herod, Mark chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus said, Be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of, of Herod, who was a compromiser. Herod was a Jew, but he was working for the Romans. And then the Sadducees, Matthew 16, verse 6, Jesus said, Be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were people who did not believe in uh, the resurrection, did not believe in angels. So it was uh, the, the yeast of unbelief. And then lastly, the yeast of false doctrine, Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. At, uh, and the previous verse talks about the false doctrine. So that's Passover, the first of the three feasts that people, men, need to go to Jerusalem to commemorate. The second one is the, the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks, it says count seven weeks, seven times seven, 49, and then on the 50th day, you celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Uh, that is in Greek called the Pentecost and in Hebrew called the Shavuot okay and this year it'll be in May 15 let's watch the video it's holiday time in Israel again this time it's the Feast of Weeks known in Hebrew as Shavuot in the Bible the Israelites are commanded by God to count seven weeks beginning on the second day of Passover after that, on the 50th day, all Jews are told to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. Thus, it's the end of what's called the counting of the Omer, or the weeks, and thus the name Shavuot, which means weeks in Hebrew. But just what are Jews celebrating? Nothing less than the giving of the Torah by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And God's word is certainly worthy of celebration. So just how does modern-day Israel mark Shavuot? From sundown on the 5th of Sivan, on the Jewish calendar, and all through the next day, the nation goes into holiday mode. People have the day off of work, businesses close, and no buses run. Once evening falls, many actually stay up all night studying the Torah at the Western Wall or in synagogues across Israel. Special celebrations are held at Kibbutzim across Israel, with children carrying baskets of fruit and wearing flower wreaths on their heads. And of course, families gather together to eat. The traditional food eaten at Shavuot are dairy products like cheeses, cheesecake, and cheese blintzes. The real reason is debated, but many attribute it to the rabbinic kosher laws separating meat and milk, or even to the numeric value of the word milk in Hebrew, which equals 40 the same number of days Moses was on Mount Sinai. For Messianic Jews and believers in Yeshua around the world, Shavuot is also celebrated for another reason, known as Pentecost, because it occurred 50 days after the Passover. We read in the New Testament of Jews from all over the world gathering for Shavuot when something extraordinary happened. 
It was on that day that the Holy Spirit descended upon Yeshua's followers as all of Don. Peter, or Shimon Kepha as he's known in Hebrew, stood up to address the crowd gathered in Jerusalem, saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Yeshua, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. Okay, let's look at Deuteronomy 16, verse 9. It says, Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings of the Lord your God has given you. <clears throat> and rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, the Levites in your towns, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. The Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. <clears throat> weeks because it says count seven weeks uh, <clears throat> from the Feast of First Fruits. It was a feast of joy and thanksgiving, celebrating the completion of the harvest process. It also commemorates, as the video says, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, but that is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible. Okay? So it became a tradition. Right? The Bible does not tell us to celebrate because of the giving of the law. And the feast acquired the name 50th, uh, which in, in Pentecost, uh, in, in the Greek, uh, because of the New Testament. So in the New Testament, we, we know that 50 days after Christ has been resurrected, the Christians were celebrating Pentecost, and then on that day, they received the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, the Old Testament feast of weeks, the Shavuot, has a new meaning for for Messianic Jews and, and for us Christians. And the shadow of the feast has now become a reality. That Pentecost is now the church's anniversary of receiving God the Holy Spirit fulfilled in Pentecost. <coughs> the Holy Spirit came in a new and special way. <coughs> John 14, 16 says, And now I will, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And the Holy Spirit lives in us forever. It is, he is not on an S-pass. He is a permanent resident with us. So it, it distinguishes between the Old Testament where it talks about a temporary residing uh, or, or anointing of the Holy Spirit and for us in the New Covenant, He's a permanent indwelling forever. And it was only given when Jesus was glorified, that is, with Jesus dying and then resurrecting. John chapter 7, verse 39 says, By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So it was paid for with a price that Jesus had to be glorified in his resurrection. Holy Spirit came, we received. 
And there are several symbolisms in the Pentecost, in the Feast of Weeks to note, that you can find in Leviticus 23. In Leviticus chapter 23 is the, are the details of all uh, these feasts and how they were to be practiced. First, it starts with the first fruits, right? You wave a sheaf of, of grain, and a grain, they are individual grains, individual believers. And then Pentecost, they were asked to bake two loaves of bread, leaven, put yeast in them. And it suggests that these two loaves are the church, the church one of Jews and the church of us Gentiles. And it is an imperfect church in that there is leaven in these two loaves. But the, the grain that we wave at first, individual grains were first grounded, put together, put in yeast and baked. So we were like all baptized into the one body. Right? We cannot be called like individual uh, people anymore. We are baptized into the one body. Uh, in Corinthians 12, 13, we were all baptized by the one spirit into the one body. Whether Jews or Greek, slave or free, we were all given of the one spirit to drink one loaf. And then there was a burnt offering. It talks about the complete consecration of Christ. It was like totally burnt for us. There was a sin offering and Jesus dying as our sin offering. So, Fantastic symbolisms in this uh, Feast of Weeks. And now we go to the third and the last one, the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Sukkot in, um, in Hebrew, and that is in September. Sukkot is one of the Feasts of the Lord and one of the most important of the Jewish holidays. Also known as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, this appointed festival is a time to remember when the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness and living in temporary dwellings after they left Egypt. In commemoration of this event, people, religious or not, gather with family and friends to enjoy the many exciting aspects of the holiday. Throughout Israel, Sukkot or temporary shelters are erected. Like all feasts of the Lord, the Feast of Tabernacles points us toward God. Its meaning and teaching associated with the holiday all reflect God's love for His people and His desire to tabernacle with them. Sukkot reminds us that we are vulnerable, that we are incapable of protecting ourselves completely from the elements of the world. The feast points to God as our eternal protection and thus encourages us to have faith and to depend on God. Sukkot has many other symbols. Each one is filled with profound meanings and aspects of merriment. The first action is the waving of the four species, which is actually to welcome the coming of the king and judge. The palm, or lulav, which has taste but no aroma, symbolizes those who know the Torah or the Word of God but fail to practice what it says. The myrtle, or hadas, on the other hand, has aroma but no taste and represents those who do good deeds though they do not study the Torah. The willow, or arava, has neither taste nor aroma and represents those who do not study the Word of God nor practice good deeds. And the citron, or etrog, has both taste and aroma, represents those who are immersed in Torah and also practice it. 
When we rave all four of them, we take them all up together as one to remind us that our Jewish community is strongest when we are together in one community, learning from one another and each other's shortcomings. They are a symbol of Klal Israel, the entire Jewish people coming together as one. Most of the feasts of the Lord have been fulfilled by and through Yeshua Mashiach, but He has yet to fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles. As we wave the four species, we humbly acknowledge who we are before the King and wait for His return. So let's come to the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 16 from verse 13. <clears throat> Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your feast, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. In the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles was kept to, to remind the Israelites of all of God's miraculous interventions through the 40 years in the wilderness. In Leviticus 23, from verse 42, it says, All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, or tabernacles, and that your generation may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so what does this Feast of Tabernacles have to do with the Lord Jesus? Jesus was recorded in John chapter 7, from verse 2, to have kept this feast. Uh, this feast. And, and so the symbol of the tabernacle with the New Testament is, is rich with meaning. John chapter 7 verse 37 says, On the last and greatest day of this feast of tabernacles, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow out, will flow from within him. And during Christ's earthly ministry, the Apostle John also mentions in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word became flesh and tabernacle among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that's the same word, tabernacle. The Word became flesh, and dwelt with us. The Word became flesh and tabernacle with us. And Jesus, as the creator God of the Old Testament, tabernacled with the Israelites, Israelites in the wilderness, and now he tabernacles with us, Gentiles and Jews, in the, old, uh, in the new uh, covenant. But you know that some additional traditions were added to the Feast of Tabernacles uh, that actually is not found in the Bible, but it's sort of so prophetic of the, 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 the life of Jesus in the Mishnah, which is the oral traditions of the Jews, uh, uh, even before the, the, the New Testament, 
they, they had two additional things added to the Feast of Tabernacles. One is they drew water from the pool of Siloam, which is in Jerusalem, and then they pour out this water, signifying that God gave them water in the desert. You know, in the desert in Israel, water is just so, so, so important. And we just read John 7, 37, out of him shall flow rivers of living water, that Jesus is the living water. Uh, and, and, and this uh, prophesy of Jesus, the living water. And then the second additional thing was fire. They have, uh, in, uh, in the old days, four huge uh, candlesticks uh, in, in the temple courts. And they were like 75 feet tall, okay, very, very high candlesticks. And they gave light uh, from Jerusalem, which is on a hill, to faraway places that they can see. In the Temple of Jerusalem, Feast of Tab Tabernacles, there are four huge 75-foot uh, candlesticks because God gave them a pillar of fire at night as they wandered in the wilderness. And you remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life, living water in the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, I'm going to end soon. So, what are the meanings of the feastings? Old Testament practice from long ago survived to present-day Israel with additional traditions uh, added. I think it is God's way to tell us to, to, to refresh ourselves to remember and to rejoice. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 talks about remember. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember, do not forget. And all through Deuteronomy 5.15, do not forget. Remember, remember you were slaves in, in Egypt. Remember that I delivered you out of slavery. And so we as Gentiles, we are grafted into this rich history of God's dealing with Israel. And that, that becomes really uh, uh, very significant uh, when, when you visit Israel. We are, we are just grafted on. You see God beginning His uh, dealings with men through His chosen people. Grafted on. We just intertwine into this vine and we are taking life off of this graft in Romans 11. And so we should also refresh ourselves with the reading of this feast, although we don't practice it, with understanding the symbolism and the significance of this feast, to remember it and then to rejoice. So if you ask me the meanings of all these feasts, which we do not practice, but we practice one, and that every Sunday, and uh, in the Holy Communion, which speaks God's love and sacrifice. It presents to us, I feel, uh, presents of a God of order and, and history. Like I say, we've been grafted onto this rich history and tradition 
of uh, God's dealing with the Israelites. And you know, if you read uh, Deuteronomy and, and, and the first five books of the Bibles, there is a rhythm. There's a rhythm of God, usually in sevens. You know, on the seventh day, have a Sabbath. On the seventh month, count seven weeks of seven. And there's a certain rhythm uh, about God. And, and so the, the Sunday, our Sabbath, is so significant. It is a day of worship. It's a, it is a day of rest. If you break that, that rhythm, it's bad for your health, it's bad for, for your energy level, and, and, and it's bad for your spiritual uh, condition as well. It's a God of order. He institutes this. And secondly, it, it means to me of, of painting life as a feast. You know how many times they eat that? Okay, I've put on some weight over the last 10 days, okay, because there's so much eating in, in, in Israel. But if, if you read the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, it's eat and eat and eat. Okay, feast here. Don't work there. Eat and eat. Sacrifice. You know, every time you bring a lamb to sacrifice, where does it go to? You eat it yourself. Okay, you give some portion to the priest and all that. But you eat it. And it presents life not, not like a funeral. It's like a feast. Time and again. Let me read to you De- Deuteronomy chapter 12 from verse 4. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, in the pagan way. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling, and that is Jerusalem. To that place you must go there, bring your burnt offering and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give in your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flock. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. So, eat, man, eat, and just feast life. It's about that. Rest and feast. Of course, we work, but there are so many festivals for us to remember and to eat and to feast and just to enjoy. Okay, I'm not talking about rich, rich food, okay? Because the Bible also warns us or teaches us, especially in Proverbs, that better is a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Okay? So if we have to eat just loti or plain rice, with loving people around us, hey, that is a feast, right? Rather than to eat whatever, you know, uh, picking duck and everybody is quarreling, right? So feast and enjoy the people and the life that, that God has given to us. And thirdly, it points to Jesus. Every single one of these points to Jesus. Perhaps in the old days, uh, in the Old Testament, people could not see it, but we can see it because we've been grafted on and we can see that every one of these points to Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious, religious festival. So whether you practice, don't practice, don't let people judge you. A new moon celebration, Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So look at this, read this, appreciate that, watch video, but note that it all points to Jesus. There is a very uh, meaningful liturgical term used in the, some of the traditional churches when they celebrate the Holy Communion. It says, the priest will say, or the pastor will say, take this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. So as we take, we remember, we feed on Christ, we are feasting, even though it is a small wafer, even though it's a small cup of grape juice or wine, we are feasting remembering, rejoicing, refreshing ourselves in the Lord. 
And so here I end. Just, just to remember, and I remember, tomorrow is a very significant day for me, as I remember. March the 11th, 37 years ago, I received the Lord as my Lord and Savior. And it's to me, the Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Passover, is all combined in one. It's a Holy Communion for me. And I trust that as you remember significant moments in your life, maybe there was a healing in your family and brought, God brought reconciliation to people in your family, your own salvation day, remember, rejoice, and refresh ourselves in the Lord. Okay, uh, is, let's, let's do a closing song because I want us to rejoice and let me ask the worship team to come forward and to sing that song again to rejoice in His presence uh, this Sunday.
We praise you for your loving kindness. We praise you for every remembrance for refreshing us today, for grafting us onto the historical roots of your dealings with mankind, with your chosen race, of giving to us a sacrificial lamb that will take away our sins, of giving us feastings that we might rejoice with loved ones around us. So Lord, we thank you. And I pray for everyone here, God, that you might send us forth with a skip in our steps, with praise in our hearts, with rejoicing. God, would you bless your people? Would you anoint them with the power of the Holy Spirit? And would they bring your name glory? So we pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen.